But no, the last two weeks, right, we were in the end of Acts 13 and the beginning of Acts 14, right, and then 2 Kings, chapter 17. Different parts of the Bible, just in case you didn't know. One on this end, one on this end, right? The week before last, Joby reminded us that we don't got this. We, in of ourselves, do not have what it takes, right? Apart from Christ, we can do nothing. So we must, and can only, continue in the grace of God. And Paul and Barnabas were facing that opposition, but they continued on. And last week, we were in 2 Kings and got to hear from Pastor Tim Kane about Elijah, a woman who worshipped Baal and her son, and how the promises of God are bigger than any problem you have. And we all have the promises of God in Christ Jesus. And by God's sovereignty, this week we are continuing in Acts 14, and we're going to see both of these things again. We'll see more idolatry and more continuing with endurance by the grace of God. Now, it's actually an interesting thing. We could actually speak of idolatry and endurance really every week, maybe every day, probably even every hour. John Calvin did say, the human heart is an idol factory. And that factory operates more like a 7-Eleven and not so much like the post office, right? But these things are because of the already and not yet. We are already saved and redeemed, but we are also not yet glorified, not yet in our eternal home, and we live as pilgrims in a darkening world. This morning, we're going to witness outrageous idolatry and also outrageous endurance. And we'll see in the text this morning, but as I prepared for this sermon, I found the outrageous in my own heart. So let me pray, and we'll jump into this morning's text and ask the Holy Spirit to do a work in our hearts this morning. Father, creator of everything we see. Jesus, by all things, creation was created through you, through your name, through your great name. Father, we pray this morning that it is you who is glorified. Lord, even now, as our hearts are maybe busy with cares and worries and concerns, thoughts towards things other than you, Lord, would you steer our hearts now towards glorifying you with all of our hearts and our minds and our soul and our strength, Father. Lord, would you move us towards you. Holy Spirit, would you do a work in our hearts, change our hearts more and more into the image of you this morning. Father, would you be with us. Holy Spirit, would you teach us and guide us. And Jesus, may we look to you. Lord, as we walk through this darkened world, as lights for your great name, And it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. So if you want to go ahead and turn your Bibles to Acts 14, we're actually going to read a pretty big chunk from chapter 14, 8, all the way through verse 23. Um, A lot of good stuff, so we're going to get to it. I'll give a second if you guys are turning there. I don't know if it'll be up there, so if you guys have your Bibles, please turn with me. 
All right, now, Lystra, there was a man sitting who could not use his feet. He was crippled from birth and had never walked. He listened to Paul speaking. And Paul, looking intently at him, seeing that he had faith to be made well, said in a loud voice, Stand upright on your feet. And he sprang up and began walking. And when the crowd saw that Paul, what Paul had done, they lifted up their voices, saying in Lyconian, The gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. Barnabas they called Zeus and Paul Hermes because he was the chief speaker. And the priest of Zeus, whose temple was at the entrance of the city, brought oxen and garlands to the gates and wanted to offer sacrifice with the crowds. But when the apostles, Barnabas and Paul, heard of it, they tore their garments and rushed out into the crowd, crying out, Men, why are you doing these things? We also are men of like nature with you, and we bring good news that you should turn from these vain things to a living God who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. In past generations, he allowed the nations to walk in their own ways. Yet he did not leave himself without witness. For he did good by giving you rains from the heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. Even with these words, though, they scarcely restrained the people from offering sacrifice to them. But Jews, now Jews come down from Antioch and Iconium, and have persuaded the crowds... And they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. But when the disciples gathered about him, he rose up, entered the city, and on the next day he went out with Barnabas to Derbe. When they had preached the gospel to that city and made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraged them to continue in the faith, and saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. And when they had appointed elders from them in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. Whew. Now, wow, what a whiplash of a story, huh? <laughs> God uses Paul to heal a crippled man. Then the priest of Zeus brings sacrifices to offer Paul and Barnabas, right? They liken Paul to Hermes and Barnabas to Zeus. Then the Jews we heard about from last week that came against Paul and Barnabas when Joby preached come down from Antioch and Iconium to stir up the crowd to stone Paul. What? <laughs> what is going on? So they're willing first to make sacrifices to them as gods, but then quickly were persuaded to instead stone them. Now, I'm not sure how Barnabas escaped the whole stoning thing, but wow, that escalated quickly. So there is a lot going on, as we can see, that we're going to work through this morning. But hopefully we'll be able to glean some new insights into our own hearts and the many people around us. <clears throat> so first, we see God do a miracle through Paul. Right, I just think of that crippled man. I wonder what his day was like. He woke up like every other day, but a man he's never seen before begins to speak and he hears him because it seems he's kind of in a gathering common area. But this man speaking didn't have words like any other man he's heard before. Maybe something came alive for him in a moment or at a certain word coming from Paul's mouth as he testified of the grace of Jesus. This lame man sees the man who's speaking look at him. And not just look at him, 
but look at him. And he hears the man say to him, stand upright on your feet. He knows he's been lame from birth. He's never walked. Yet something in his heart says, do it. And strength that he has never known before surges to his legs and feet, and he can't help but to spring up. Not just hold on to something to get up, not slowly work his way up, like an old man getting up on a rainy day, or me getting up off the couch. He springs to his feet and begins walking. This is the best day of his life. His life has been made new in a way that he would have never imagined. Now what's crazy, it says, and Paul looking intently at him and seeing that he had faith to be made well. What did Paul see? How did the Spirit prompt him to speak with such boldness and confidence? Personally, I can't wait to ask Paul, what did you see in that man's eyes? And I imagine him saying, the hope of Christ. Now this previously lame man walking caught the attention of the crowd. And soon thereafter, a priest of Zeus is coming down the way with oxen and garland to offer sacrifice to Paul and Barnabas. But because Paul and Barnabas didn't speak Lyconian, they hadn't picked up the signals. Right? But as soon as they did, they tore their clothes. And I love this response because it reveals Paul and Barnabas' heart. They didn't want the praise. They didn't want the glory that belonged to Christ. They wanted to fear God more than they feared man. And Tony Morita points this out. He says, ministers today must take note of the missionaries' intense deflection of glory. Herod would have enjoyed such praise, but faithful Christians understand that it is only God to be worshiped. Paul and Barnabas' reaction is amazing because we know the praise of man can sound real good. The praise of our peers feels good. Receiving glory is seductive to a prideful soul. And there's pride in all of us. So we must deflect. Now, what I'm not talking about is encouragement, right? We are to encourage one another, to build each other up, but for the purpose of magnifying His grace. So when people give you encouragement, receive it as a gift from God and give thanks. But I know that isn't what we're talking about here. Why we see Paul in many of his letters thanking several churches for the gifts and encouragement they have provided. But here in this section, Paul sees the quick pull and dangerous habit of idolizing or worshiping things other than God. And going so far as to make sacrifices for the created instead of the creator. Right in verse 13. And the priest of Zeus, whose temple was at the entrance to the city, brought oxen and garlands to the gates and wanted to offer sacrifice with the crowds. Now, Paul was exegeting. We kind of talked about that a couple of weeks ago. So, right, he was understanding the context and history of his audience. He was exegeting the response to something that was deeply tied to the Greek-Roman influence of worshiping a plethora of gods. We'll even see later in Acts, when Paul's in the heart of Greece in Athens, in Acts 17, he says, For I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, 
I found also an altar with this inscription, to the unknown God. So when both Paul and Barnabas hear of this, right, hear of this priest of, of the Greek idol Zeus, he's bringing down oxen, they tear their clothes. Yes, even the son of encouragement tore his clothes. Now this is seen throughout the Bible as a sign of severe distress. And then a Hebrew expression of sacrilege, something you can't imagine or unbelievable that was spoken. You tear your clothes. So Paul and Barnabas' hearts are broken over the distorted worship of the people. The crippled man walks because God, by the power of the Holy Spirit given by the Son, Jesus Christ, and that is the only power that deserves total worship and praise. And in the book of Romans, we kind of, Paul articulates their error, right? He says, because they exchanged truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. Now, that scripture is referencing different sin, but the results are the same. When creation or creatures, creatures are worshiped over the creator, Sin follows. And it's scary how easy and frequent I do this. Stuff, places, people, so easily become a shrine of worship in my heart. My joy and hope so easily seek to attach themselves with what is seen. My home, my job, my car, my marriage, my kids, etc., 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 now, even as Romans 1 said, it's when we worship the creation rather than the creator, it becomes idolatrous. So those things I listed aren't, are good things, but they are not God. And when I bless his great name and have a heart of gratitude for the gifts I've been given, not as rewards I deserve, right? When I know they are gifts, I put blessings in their proper place. And Job's confession of his worship, even after everything was taken from him, was an example of deep faith in God's sovereignty. Right? In Job 1.21, everything has been taken from him. He says, Naked I come from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Now when my praise is not tied to created gifts, but to the creator, there is freedom. But when I serve and worship idols, when we serve and worship sin, we are prisoners. We are bound to an endless pursuit of finding rest only to reach a mirage of comfort. It's a vapor. The Lyconians were chasing the mirage, right? They saw something that could be, that maybe could bring them comfort. They weren't going to miss an opportunity to try and appease an unknown God. So Paul, he knew these Lyconians needed a quick testimony. Right? They needed to know that it is from Lord in whom all blessings flow. Right in verses 15 through 17, Paul cries out, Men, why are you doing these things? We also are men of like nature with you and bring good news that you should turn from these vain things to a living God who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. In past generations, he allowed all the nations to walk in their own ways. 
Yet he did not leave himself without witness, for he did good by giving you rains from heaven, fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with good and gladness. Now, he didn't get very far with his message, his sermon, and it was stopped, seems like halfway, right? Because the text also says, even with these words, they scarcely restrain the people from offering sacrifices to them. Idolatry hooks in hearts and holds on because it's sin disguised. And sin knows when the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit shows up, its time is limited. Sin uses human hearts as its production headquarters for idolatry. We magnify created things and we minimize the creator. Kent Hughes shares this crazy observation. He says, the story of Lystra also exposes another of our weaknesses. We find it easy to exalt the messenger instead of the message. We want to make men and women rather than God our sense of security. So we have our own Christian pantheon, right? A Greek temple. Our own Christian matinee idols. We must, with God's help, honestly examine our hearts to see whom we are truly worshiping. Ourselves? our favorite preacher or writer or Christian entertainer, or do we worship and serve the Lord Jesus? Every idol, whether it's a person, place, thing, or idea, will fail you. Just as we imagined last week, the thoughts of the woman that her little G, God, Baal, had failed her. And idols not only fail you, Idols are trying to rob you. Sin is trying to rob you. Right, John 10, Jesus said, The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. But I came that you may have life and have it abundantly. Now, what if you've been robbed in real life? Right, you know, the next time you go to that same area, you might be thinking different ways to protect yourself, be prepared. But as we know in the Bible, we don't battle flesh and blood. So we need the armor of God. To prevent sin and idolatry from robbing us, we need to do as Ephesians 6, 14 through 17 says, stand therefore, fastening the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and the shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. God created your heart, your mind, your body, and your soul. So when we pridefully give them to which that is not God, that is idolatry. The Father created us in Christ Jesus, so we have no right in submitting ourselves to anything but him. And that's why we see in Philippians, Paul says, Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow, in heaven, on earth, and under the earth. And even if you are a believer, you still produce idols. However, the suffering we face is also 
simultaneously producing in us, as 2 Corinthians says, for this light and momentary affliction is preparing or producing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Right? Kind of like the production knob of idols is being dialed back day by day. And the worship of Jesus and his glory is increasing all the more as we are being sanctified by his word. The word of truth by the power of the Holy Spirit is what provides the strength and the endurance we need. Because the gospel, the gospel cannot be stoned to death. The gospel cannot be extinguished. Though there are those who have proclaimed the gospel and fallen by these atrocities, the cloud of witnesses just gets bigger. We see Paul get stoned due to a harsh opposition, and yet he got up and re-entered the city. He points out the obvious when he says, a stoning was a horrible and bloody thing. But he continues, as the rocks crashed against Paul's skull, I wonder if his mind flashed back to Stephen's execution in which he had participated. And then I can't help to think of when God told Ananias to go to Saul and heal his sight. Ananias was afraid because Stephen's stoning was fresh. But the Lord said to him about Saul, Paul, for I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. And Paul did suffer. This stoning wasn't the last time he would be persecuted for the sake of the gospel. Paul lays out kind of his suffering credentials in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. He says, five times I received at the hands of the Jews 40 lashes less one. So 39 lashes. 40 lashes was the number that kind of um, keyed in on that would kill somebody. So 39 lashes was the one where it just take you just to that point. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea. On frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, and toil and hardship through many a sleepless nights and hunger and thirst, often without food and cold and exposure. And apart from other things, there is the daily pressure of me and my anxiety for all the churches. But Paul endured. And he did not endure for his sake. He did not, in of himself, have the strength. It was God. When the Lord said he would suffer for the sake of his name, it happened, right? Paul's suffering was not in vain, though. It was not wasted because God had purposed it. And because he had purposed it, the Holy Spirit was working in Paul's inner being, renewing him through it, though his outer self was wasting away. Now, it's crazy. It made me think of Psalm 37, 4. Right? Sometimes we think about this verse of God's just going to give us our things. But it says, Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Paul was delighting himself in the Lord. And his desires were being conformed into Jesus. 
At no point did Paul say, God is paying me back for what I did to him. Though he was well aware that all, the, all of sin, all have sinned, and are to receive death as penalty, but it was the grace of God that compelled him. For the love of Christ controls us or compels us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. Comes out of 2 Corinthians 5. Paul gladly endured weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities for the sake of Christ. He knew his endurance was only possible in his weakness and in Christ's strength. The good works that God had prepared beforehand for Paul were God's workmanship and for Paul's good. Paul in Philippians testifies to Jesus' words when Jesus says back in Mark, and calling to the crowd with him, with his disciples, he said to them, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel will save it. <clears throat> now Paul describes in chapter 3 of Philippians the losing of his life for the sake of gaining it. In Philippians 3, 7, But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Now we go back to Acts 14, verse 20. The crowd supposed that he was dead. Took him out of the city. But he rose up and went to another city. And once they returned, or once they preached the gospel in that city, Paul and Barnabas returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch. And the text says they strengthened the souls of the disciples to continue in the faith because it is through tribulations that we reach the kingdom of God. I just imagine if I was there when Paul walked back into that city in which he was stoned and said, keep going, I'd be encouraged. The definition of endurance is the fact or power of enduring an unpleasant or difficult process or situation without giving way. And another word for that is steadfastness. All through the book of Acts, we have seen and will see the incredible endurance of our early brothers and sisters exhibited for Christ's sake and ours. Right, that's why Hebrews 12, 1 through 2 is such an incredible verse. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, 
who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. We endure, church, for the sake of his great name. Now let's kind of bring these two things together. Let's bring idolatry and endurance together because the solution for both is the gospel. And walking through this already and not yet life as a Christian will matter-of-factly have you enduring through idolatry. Idolatry of this world and idolatry in your own heart. As we have seen in this passage this morning, Paul and Barnabas endured suffering due to an idolatrous culture. Now, the suffering may look different, but couldn't I just put some other names in that statement? Tyler and Amber endure suffering due to an idolatrous culture. Grace, Lily, Claire endure suffering due to an idolatrous culture. Micah, Liam, Finn, Silas. I tried to point in the right directions there. I may have got it right, but... Endure suffering due to an idolatrous culture. But now, what I don't want you to hear me saying is that it's because of culture's idolatry that causes me suffering and requires endurance. No. Our own hearts produce idolatry. We create messes due to our own idols that we've created. Right in James chapter 4, what causes quarrels and fights among you? Is it not this? That your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask, and you ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. People in your life, those around you, may be enduring suffering because they got too close to your created idol. Church, we need to look at Jesus. We need to look to Jesus as an example. And Paul says too, follow me as I follow Christ. Jesus stepped down from his throne into a war against innumerable idols. Every set of eyes he looked into, he could see clearly He could see clearly the idols that kept that heart captive. Right when the Pharisees would challenge him, he saw to the depths of their hearts. And his exact words were, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead, dead people's bones and all uncleanness. But when he locked eyes, with them whom he had given faith, eyes and hearts that were desperate for freedom, he broke the chains. And he still breaks chains. The name of Jesus will always hold power. The name of Jesus will always be exalted in the heavens and one day by every knee that will bow. Some of you this morning have idols that hold your heart captive. Remember Galatians 5.1. For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. 
And for some of you, if you're holding on to your idols, may the Holy Spirit reveal to you their end. May the name of Jesus be magnified in your heart. Did your idol die for you? Can it save you? No, quite the opposite. The idols of your heart want you to die. And our ability to endure is directly related to whom we have placed our trust. It is directly related to the power of the Holy Spirit and dependent on the promise, he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. We need to fix our eyes on him. The more you look to him, the more you'll love him. And the more you love him, the more you'll obey him. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Now, as we close this morning, if you have been given ears to hear this morning, Jesus came to set you free. If your hope is anything or in anyone other than the Son of God, your hope is going to fail. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. So enter through the curtain, which is the broken body of Jesus, and enter in to the Father's rest. The need for endurance only ends when we finally walk into eternity with him. Until then, we endure. And there is only rest for those who are in Christ. So not only did Jesus endure the shame and the cross for you, but we, church, we are also to endure with those, for those who have not yet known the one whom all worship is due. Right, that's why 2 Peter 3 is so great. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promises, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. We remain steadfast because the hope of Christ is sure. Idols don't last, but the gospel does. And the hope of Jesus is the resurrection. The hope of Jesus is the resurrection and the life. Let's pray. Father, we... We are amazed at your amazing work that you have done. Lord, sinners would receive grace. Father, that you would send your own son into an idolatrous world with hearts seeking to praise anything they could see. Father, but you have revealed to us through your son Jesus that it is you who we should worship. Father, you open our eyes to see clearly, Lord, the creator. Lord, would you continue to work in our hearts, Lord, that we would lift up your name above every other name. Lord, that those idols in our hearts would melt away. Lord, that you would shine them in the light and that we could see for what they really are, Lord. They are dust, they are vapor, they are mist, they are here today and gone tomorrow. Father, would you help us to stand secure and your everlasting word. 
Father, thank you for your truth. Thank you that you do not leave us by ourselves, Lord, but you sent the helper. You are changing us. You are sanctifying us by the power of the Holy Spirit. Father, I pray for those who have not yet put their trust in Jesus, that they would know true freedom as they trust in you. Father, thank you for your goodness and your truth and your mercy. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.